This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, and happy holidays. You know, Mr. Milano, I don't believe we've had a chance to play some of our festive holiday music yet. Can you do something about that? Yes, I can. Yes, we do want to wish you a happy holidays and a Merry Christmas and a festive Hanukkah and a cool Kwanzaa and, uh, you know, a funky Festivus, which we would differentiate from the funky Cole Medina. And if you're celebrating the Saturnalia, well, we hope that one is superb. We've got a full lineup in today's program, three different guests. In segment two, we're going to speak with Professor Devin Brown about his most intriguing book, Tolkien. How an Obscure Oxford Professor Wrote The Hobbit and Became the Most Beloved Author of the Century. While we have no opinion about the Hobbit movie that's, I guess, coming out right now, uh, we certainly are fans of both The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy. And thus, uh, we're looking forward to our chat with Professor Brown in segment two. We will then continue our discussion with fellow public affairs hosts here at KDVS, uh, specifically in this case, the Friday morning lineup on the station which is, as you should know, the IBOR program, hosted by Sam Ribicoff between 9 and 10, followed by Policy Over Politics, hosted by Matthew Maxey. We'll talk with both Sam and Matt in our third segment. Yeah, we didn't know what an IBOR was either, but if you stick around, you'll join us in finding out. do a quick run through this date in history, which is how we like to start every program. Our date in question is the 18th of December. It was on December 18th, we would note, in 1839, that the English photographer John William Draper took the first celestial photograph. It was a daguerreotype of the moon. On December 18th in 1865, following its ratification by the requisite three-quarters of the state's Earlier that month, the 13th Amendment is formally adopted into the U.S. Constitution, ensuring an end to slavery. And on December 18th in 1946, the British House of Commons voted in favor of the Labor government's plan to nationalize the railroads, ports, and road haulage industry. Something I think later British governments decided to at least partly reverse, although I'm a little unclear on the details. So it might be time to invite you, dear listener, to, a- to ask you if you know something about what Maggie Thatcher and others did later. Inform us by dropping a line at info at radioparallax.com. Our quote of the day comes from Wilson Misner, one of our favorites, I might add. Reportedly, once after this great American wit's uh, intemperate remark during a heated argument with a magistrate, caused the magistrate to, con- to exclaim, you've been showing contempt for this court, to which... Milsner replied, No, Your Honor, I've been trying to conceal it. Our quip of the day comes from the poet Saki, who said, In baiting a mousetrap with cheese, always leave room for the mouse. Our quick joke of the day is as follows. What do you call a drummer without a girlfriend? Answer, homeless. Our anecdote of the day is as follows. Apparently, Chantus 
Mariah Carey had to apologize after delivering what's been described as a shocker of a performance in NBC's annual Christmas in Rockefeller Center tree lighting special. Evidently, the 44-year-old diva showed up three hours late to the pre-taping of the event, having reportedly becoming stuck in legal negotiations over her messy divorce. And reportedly, her tardiness left producers no option but to force her to sing live. Yes, shocking, isn't it? The concept of a singer having to sing live. In this case, evidently disastrous results ensued. Carrie butchered the high notes of All I Want for Christmas is You, leaving viewers cringing and forcing the singer to make amends on Twitter. I'm not sure this is making amends. Reportedly, Carrie posted, Last night's situation was beyond my control. I apologize to all that showed up. Wait a minute. How is this beyond her control? It was beyond her control that she could show up at the appointed hour, and it was beyond her control as an internationally known singer that she would be asked to sing? Hell, we say bring back Ethel Merman. There's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. Yesterday they told you you would not go far. That night you open, and there you are. Next day on your dressing room, they hung a star. Our stat of the day is that cruise ships dumped over 1 billion gallons of sewage into the ocean this year, according to a new analysis by the Friends of the Earth. Reportedly, an average cruise ship with 3,000 passengers and crew produces enough sewage to fill 10 backyard swimming pools each week. Man, that's not the love boat. And our good news for the week is another case of local boy makes good. In this case, Sam McManus, the Sacramento Bee, again getting noticed by the good people at The Week magazine, which reprinted his piece about Venice Beach, California, being a a curious uh, location. Noted Sam McManus and The Week. Before Venice got absorbed by Los Angeles, it was owned by a developer who dug canals and imported a World's Fair midway while creating a resort that was supposed to be part Venice, Italy, part Coney Island. And yes, it was in Venice that uh, Charlie Chaplin made one of his first appearances as the Tramp. And also evidently where a young Arnold Schwarzenegger made one of his first appearances as the Chump. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start off with the fact that it was a good week this past week for overreactions with the news that a Harvard Business School professor became irate that a Chinese restaurant charged him $4 more than the prices on an old menu. He then demanded triple damages of $12, threatened a lawsuit, and reported the restaurant to authorities. We think at Radio Parallax that you should probably report Harvard Business School professors to the authorities whenever possible. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for good news. After a Russian website, City Reporter, saw a two-thirds drop in readership when it decided to report only positive news stories for the day. The website then went back to bad news. 
And it was a bad week last week in terms of having drones in our future with this item. Apparently at a TGI Fridays in Brooklyn, a mobile mistletoe drone flying around the restaurant spun out of control, struck a patient, and clipped off the tip of their nose. Said the drone operator, which seems to us to be a rather cavalier fashion, in all activities involving flying, there is a risk. And why don't we see how close we can put the flying mistletoe to his nose? We have to close with the fact that it was an ugly and a bad week for overreactions, which is, I think, how we came in, but also, in a way, a good week, thanks to this story. Last week, a Korean air executive was forced to resign after, well, going a bit nuts. Apparently, Heather Cho, a Korean air vice president and also daughter of the airline's chairman, demanded the departing New York to Seoul flight return to the gate so she could remove a first-class crew member. The crew member's offense, he apparently served Cho, who oversees Korean Air's cabin services, unrequested macadamia nuts in a paper bag instead of a plate, as the airline's protocol demands. Given the public indignation over her haughty behavior, Cho later resigned. It's noted that macadamia nut gate has renewed a debate in South Korea over the deep-rooted nepotism that plagues the giant family-run conglomerates that dominate the economy like Samsung and Hyundai. And that, of course, is the ugly and bad side of this story. But there's a silver lining to this cloud. While nut rage imploded the career of Heather Cho, embarrassing her family, Korean Airlines, and the country, it's been noted that South Korean retailers are experiencing an unexpected upside, a boom in the sale of macadamia nuts. Evidently, the flavorful macadamia was unfamiliar to many South Koreans until Cho ordered the flight attendant off that December 5th flight. This news story apparently piqued the curiosity of Koreans about the nut's taste, and yes, sales are booming. You know, for my money, macadamia nuts are just about the best-tasting things out there. And for the record, you can serve them to me in paper bags as well as on plates. All right, let's see if we can't close this segment with three items of good news. Starting with the fact that it's raining. It's been raining. We're currently something like three inches ahead of normal rainfall in California. That's not enough to end our drought conditions, but boy, is it a step in the right direction. Let it rain and snow. Something else heading in the right direction, finally, is U.S. policy toward Cuba. President Obama showed a bit of spine yesterday and apparently kept a secret from all of Washington before announcing that the U.S. is finally going to step forward to normalize relations with Cuba. Now... If you're keeping track of this, the embargo against the island nation was put in place by President John F. Kennedy to bring the end of the Castro regime. But while the Castro brothers are still in power, they have outlasted Kennedy and also Johnson and Nixon and Ford and Carter and two terms of Reagan and Bush 41 and two terms of Clinton and two terms of Bush 43 and six years and counting of Obama. Now, there are some who might argue that this embargo has not been given enough time to work yet. Those would tend to be people like Mark Rubio, Republican lunatic, who has announced that this is a step in the wrong direction and will hurt the Cuban people. We'll have more to say about this in future programs. I just do want to note that uh, having been to Cuba on four occasions, I can assure you that the people of Cuba have been hurt greatly by this embargo. I might not disagree with the premise that their main problem has been their own government, But uh, holy mackerel, we have not been of any help. I think when Mark Rubio says things like that, it just demonstrates the fact that he is a moron. 
And of course, the expression of the belief that Mark Rubio is a moron is an opinion confined only to that of the host of this program and in no way necessarily represents the opinion of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But you knew that. Anyway, I'm very excited about these potential developments with Cuba, and I'm also excited about the fact that there's no doubt about it, methane has been found on the planet Mars. We talked about this before, and we'll no doubt talk about it again, hopefully with Matt Kaplan of Planetary Radio. This terrific program is heard not just here at KDVS, but also, last time I checked, up on KZFR in Chico, and its flagship station is KUCI in Irvine. We certainly hope that uh, Matt, in reaching out to two different UC stations, can be uh, in the vanguard of a movement to get uh, more content heard across the various UC stations. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? But yes, we were all disappointed so many years ago when the Viking landers put down on the Martian surface, according to their measurements, found no organic material. Well, we're now pretty sure that peroxides, which naturally are found on the Martian surface for reasons we're not clear on why that is, but but it appears to be the case, and that would have obscured the findings of organic material. The Mars Curiosity lander has found methane without a doubt, confirming observations from orbiters and from the Earth. Does this mean there's life on Mars? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. But there are quite a few scientists out there who believe that methane-generating organisms might be the most likely explanation for this finding. And heck, what do we know? Maybe that is the reason. It's pretty exciting stuff. We look forward to more science on the Red Planet and reporting to you about what's found as it's found because we just can't get enough of this. I think we have time for one bonus stat here in this segment which in this case will be a list of U.S. commercial radio stations by format. The current top five in their number of stations is as follows. Country, 2,053. News slash talk, 1,409. Spanish, 844. Sports, 788. And classic hits, 754. Yes, almost three times as many country stations as classic hits. Who knew? That stat, by the way, comes to you courtesy of the World Almanac and Book of Facts 2015 edition. We'll be speaking on next week's program to the senior editor of the World Book Almanac. That would be Sarah Jansen. We absolutely love these volumes and look forward to speaking with Ms. Jansen about her yearly efforts to produce this very useful tool that never runs out of batteries. And if you want, you can read it in the bathtub. In fact, we recommend that you, like the host, will take the World Book Almanac in the bathtub and enjoy reading it there. Splish, splash, I was taking a bath Long about a Saturday night Yeah! Rubbed up, just relaxing in the tub I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Let's take a short break. Well, I stepped out the tub and put my feet on the floor I wrapped the towel around me and I opened the door And in a splish, splash, I jumped back in the bath I was out and know there was a party 